It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Thunder, your daily Oklahoma City Thunder podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's get it going on the Locked On Thunder Podcast, on Locked On Podcast Network, your teams every day. I am your host, Ryland Styles. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. That is at R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-A-S. Follow the show on Twitter at L-O Thunder Pod. Email the show, L-O Thunder Pod at gmail.com, and call into the show, 405-362-7128. This is your only daily podcast about the Oklahoma City Thunder, brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKEDON, get 20% off that next order. On today's show, we're going to talk about Will Weaver and another Oklahoma City Thunder head coaching search update. We're also going to talk about uh, the Brian Winhorst report about Paul George and the uh, last offseason saga that saw him get traded to the Clippers. And we'll update you on the NBA and, and NBA Player Association agreements and dive into the Oklahoma City Thunder Big Board, specifically about the guard position. Let's start, though, with Will Weaver, who is quarantining right now in Oklahoma City. And a lot of people took that report and ran with it, as in he's going to be the next head coach of the Oklahoma City Thunder. And look, I was guilty of it as well. I mean, we've been so starved of news from around this coaching search of just little tiny, tiny morsels of, of news getting dropped out you know, months and months apart. And Will Weaver was on that list of candidates that Mark Stein dropped a few days ago. And now to be in Oklahoma City, uh, reading behind the tea leaves, it looks like he's going to be the guy uh, because we're in a pandemic and he travels from Australia and it's so hard to travel from Australia right now. Why would you have him come into town for just a simple interview? And that's the key phrase here, in my opinion, a simple interview. I think that he's still going to have another interview process to go through because you do want to meet your next head coach face-to-face and the next coach of your organization for hopefully you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years. 
if all things go well, if all things go the way Sam Presti wants, because Sam Presti does not want this to be a stopgap. He does not want this hire to last two to three years. He wants it to be a hire that you look at and is for the long haul. So obviously you do need that face-to-face component of it. Uh, but I, I think that barring some sort of disastrous showing in that face-to-face component, he will be the head coach, uh, given the fact that he's already in Oklahoma City. He's quarantining in the timeline here. I mean, training camp starts December 1st. The draft is is next Wednesday. You're, you're going to want a coach in place by then, in my opinion. And so when this quarantine period ends, he'll get together with Sam Presti. They'll talk face-to-face, and I think that this will be the hire and this will be the coach for the Oklahoma City Thunder. It's not confirmed. Uh, that's nothing uh, beyond what's been publicly reported. Uh, but uh, it just seems like if you want to read between the lines, this is going to be the next head coach of the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, again, not official, not confirmed. Uh, but given the situation, the pandemic, it seems like uh, this would be the reason to bring him all the way to Oklahoma City right now rather than just doing a Zoom interview or a Microsoft Teams interview, which is what the Thunder like to use. I think that you you only bring him in for that last and final stage of, okay, as long as you execute well in this face-to-face component, you're the next head coach of the Oklahoma City Thunder. So he comes over from the Sydney Kings in the Australia League, uh, coached well over there. I I think he had those guys within reach of the finals uh, before the pandemic, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, He also has coached on at the NBA level on Kenny Atkinson's staff with the Brooklyn Nets. He has won the G League Coach of the Year Award, uh, and he was also a GA at Texas University for Rick Barnes, who is a phenomenal you know, men's college basketball coach. Uh, during Kevin Durant's freshman season at Texas, by the way, which is kind of a, a weird fact that ties you know, kind of him to this organization, the history of this organization a little bit. Um, but he's supposed to be a brilliant mind from everything you read about him. And, and he really focuses on turning offense into defense, which you see that as something that maybe uh, he'll want to run fast and run an up-tempo offense and an up-tempo game. So that's something to look at as you shift into this younger era of basketball, this this rebuild, this retooling, whatever you would like to call this next phase of Thunder basketball. Um, so, the big knock on him, because he, he seems like a brilliant mind for both sides of the floor, defense and offense, uh, the big worry uh, is there's been a lot of reports about how he gets a rotation and he kind of sticks to that, right? I mean, he he gets his guys, he puts them in place, and he never adjusts. And we've seen that with Billy Donovan, uh, especially this year. Not going to that small ball lineup a lot more against Houston when it proved to be your most effective bunch. I do want to give caution to that red flag because a lot of things changed at the NBA level. You know, you don't have NBA talent in the G League. You don't have NBA talent in Australia. And I'm just going to be totally honest. I don't think that anyone that was not watching G League basketball was not watching um, Australian League basketball knows the roster construction of those teams. Maybe they simply did not have the depth and the difference between um, going to a new rotation was a substantial drop-off to where you just had to live and die with the players on the floor. And you see that with Billy Donovan too. I mean, that Utah series, he made a good adjustment of putting Jeremy Grant at the small ball five. Um, You would have liked to see him uh, kind of pull the cord on the Carmelo experience a little bit earlier than that in the series, but still you had to live and die with Paul George. You had to live and die with Russell Westbrook. You had to live and die with Carmelo Anthony. Those were the core pieces of your team. And that's what basketball is about, especially in the modern era is just can your stars outperform the other stars in the postseason? And your stars couldn't not against Utah, not against Portland. And then again, against Houston, I, I think that that was more coaching than anything else. I think that, you know, your, your team went toe to toe with Houston. Obviously the team itself did not play incredible all seven games of that series, uh, but 
there was an exploitation be had there by going small because every time you went small, uh, you matched up very well and, and, and would really do incredible against Houston. And you didn't do that enough, in my opinion. Uh, but, you know, that that's the kind of thing you worry about lingering over Will Weaver. But I'm going to give him a chance at the NBA level. I think that everyone should. Because if this is the only thing that people are complaining about, you've got to understand the roster construction to understand the moves being made. I mean, I don't know what his other options were. I, I don't know if he was just truly um, not looking at the, the, the different ways he can improve that team because I just don't know what they had on the bench. I don't know what they had in the starting lineups. Uh, whereas you're more in tune with Oklahoma City, so that we, that way you would know and you would say, okay, well, he is he is really wearing out this Steven Adams at the five thing when Darius Baisley playing the five or, or going smaller has proven to, to be more successful. We, we just don't know what the big qualms were with Will Weaver's rotation. So I'm going to give him a benefit of the doubt there. It's kind of like how I've said with college players. Yes, some of these guys get red flags and, and you look at their film and you think, wow, they're really forcing up shots. They really take some chaotic shots, but they don't have the talent around them to, to feel comfortable passing out of those bad shots. So then they want to win the basketball game, their competitors. And so then they just start jacking up shots because they think it's the only way to win. And maybe Will Weaver thought that those five, six, seven, eight, nine guys were the only ways to win when maybe he had more, maybe he didn't. I don't just, I just don't know the roster, so I cannot criticize him there. Um, so does this mean he's for sure the higher? No, uh, but I do think that you are right if you're someone speculating on the fact that he's quarantining in Oklahoma City because I, I just find that particularly odd for this organization to bring someone in had, had it not be their, their main target. And again, maybe he just botches the in-person interview and they go back to the drawing board. But I think that it would take him to be botching the interview for this not to go through as the next head coach of the Oklahoma City Thunder. I like it. G League Coach of the Year is a nice honor. Uh, worked under Rick Barnes, worked under Kenny Atkinson, two coaches who I really like. Maybe uh, this will be good. And again, it's an, it's an assistant coach, so maybe it will be bad. Who knows? Um, we don't really know a ton, but it'll be interesting for sure. I, I will say that if you're a coach who wants to turn defense and offense, you would assume that you're going to want to go up-tempo. And so with this roster construction, uh, again, shifting away from Gallo, shifting away from Chris Paul, if you can find a trade partner this offseason, with a young team, that's going to be fun basketball to watch. I think that Baisley, I've always said that Baisley is a building block because he's he's a modern-day big man once he adds a little bit more strength onto him because his playmaking asset is his best ability. He is an elite playmaker. So having him on the floor that can go coast-to-coast after a rebound, Dort can go coast-to-coast after a rebound, Shea, Baisley, Dort, they can all go coast-to-coast after a rebound. I think that whoever you draft this year will probably have that same trait. And so this team could be moving very quickly and moving very up-tempo. So it'll be fun. We'll see what happens. But uh, that's all I have for Will Reaver. It's again, it's a wait and see approach for Will Reaver. Who knows, really? I can't tell you for sure that he'll be good. I can't tell you for sure that he'll be bad. I will tell you, I'm optimistic. If he is the hire, um, it is an optimistic one for me. After reading all about him this weekend, I'm optimistic. We'll see if it actually comes true and if he actually does become a good coach. Now, the NBA and NBA PA have tentatively agreed to restart the season on October 22nd. We talked about that Friday, Thursday, Wednesday, Tuesday of last week. Go back and listen to all those shows and get caught up on all the details. Uh, but this should be finalized officially, pen to paper, on Monday. And on Monday, today when you're listening to this, sometime in this day, you will know the cap situation. You should know the deadlines we talked about, the player options, the team options that the Thunder have, the uh, trade exceptions the Thunder have. The, those deadlines should come out today as well. So this will be very fun to keep up with with Woj and everyone else breaking that news. But coming up, I want to talk to you about what Brian Winhorse said regarding Paul George and also dive into the Oklahoma City Thunder big board talking about the guard position. 
The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And so we are back on the Locked On Thunder Podcast, a part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your teams every day. I am your host, Rylan Styles. You can follow me on Twitter at Rylan underscore Styles. It's at R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-E-S. This is your only daily podcast home for the Oklahoma City Thunder coming up this week. We're going to dive all into the agreement once it's official and we have way more details. We're going to talk about uh, what to expect from this Thunder team if they do and don't trade Chris Paul, as that's more up in the air right now than I think that we all thought it would be at this point. But I do first want to dive into today uh, the Brian Winhorst not report, but just what he alluded to on his on his podcast, uh, talking about the Giannis situation about Milwaukee, uh, saying that, hey, Milwaukee maybe can use the same pitch Oklahoma City used, and, and Milwaukee can say, look, uh, re-sign with us, use the Supermax, uh, play this season out. If you still don't like where we're at as an organization, then we'll work with you, and we'll make a trade happen to wherever you want to go. Get this money right now, lock yourself into this contract, and if it's not working in a, year, in a year's time, we'll trade you. And he mentioned that that was the pitch to Paul George for Oklahoma City. Take more money with Oklahoma City, uh, re-sign, give us another year. If it's not where you want to be, if you want to be somewhere else, uh, then we will work with you to trade you. And I don't think that this is something uh, that is revolutionary. I think this is something that we've all already known. Uh, but since Brian Winhorst said it, and it wasn't just some uh, local Oklahoma City beat writer, it created waves nationally, but this is something that local people have known for a long time, you know, that they've alluded to, look, I mean, this was all a part of the plan. I mean, this was a part of the pitch to Paul George is we will still work with you if you want out. You're not, you know, kind of firmly locked into Oklahoma City and we're never going to do anything to help you. Oklahoma City has a great relationship with every player that's ever played here, besides Kevin Durant. I mean, th- th- that's obvious because Kevin Durant not only left, but uh, the way he talked about this organization was not, of course, glowingly so I doubt that they have great feelings for Kevin Durant. But other than that, everyone who ever leaves Oklahoma City has, has talked about how, how great it was to play for this organization, and they've done everything in their power to help each and every player. And that's why you're even seeing reports now that Sam Presti is not going to send Chris Paul to an awful organization, an awful team, uh, because they want to do what's right by Chris Paul, who's helped this team so much over the last year. Um, and I think that's, that's probably right. If, if all things go their way, they want to get Chris Paul to a destination that he wants as well. They want to work with him and figure out what's best for both Chris Paul and this organization. Well, most of the time, organizations only have themselves in mind. So that's why the Thunder have been so well-received by every player who's ever played here. This organization is first-rate, and this organization has been praised by many around the NBA, even while being in a small market, even while being in a destination that you don't look at and immediately fall in love with. And I think that that's why Chris Paul did not make a fuss about playing in Oklahoma City, never talked about demanding a trade, has still never demanded a trade publicly, because he understands that while this might not be ideal in the twilight of your career, to, yes, get a ton of money, but play for a a mediocre best team. Now, this season was a heck of a ride. It was so fun. It was honestly one of my most fun Thunder seasons of all time. Right up there. It was a lot of fun this year. But first round exit. And we were hoping for a second round exit. 
So, I mean, that's what this team is. And, and as someone with Chris Paul, who's on the back end of his career, you don't love that situation. You want to win a championship. He's an ultra competitor. But he still never made a fuss. He still never demanded a trade because he understands that the reputation of Sam Presti, the reputation of this organization is they're going to do right by their players. And they've done it this entire time. Uh, the, the Paul George thing was, I think, pretty, pretty well out there. I think that anyone who wanted to learn about this situation knew what the situation was. And Sam Presti, and I given, I've given Paul George credit for this on this very podcast, before the bubble, I said, look, the Thunder are not where they're at right now without Paul George doing all of this under the table with Sam Presti, in unison with Sam Presti. And Sam Presti doesn't get that to happen if he does not have the reputation he has. If Sam Presti is not so well regarded by agents, by players, by organization, organizations around basketball, then... Paul George is going to be very public with the knowledge that he wants out of that he wants out of Oklahoma City, that he wants to move on to LA, and all of a sudden now your trade package goes from historic returns to pennies on the dollar because you now have a disgruntled star. And I know that Anthony Davis caused a big fuss in New Orleans. He was very vocal about where he wanted to go, and he still got New Orleans a nice package. Paul George is no Anthony Davis. So I think that that story about Paul George from Brian Windhorst um, tells a lot about this organization. It tells a lot about why we haven't seen Chris Paul make a big fuss about playing Oklahoma City. He's got he's put his head down. He's worked with these young guys. He's mentored these young guys. He's he's really helped the development of Shea. I think he's helped the development of Baisley. Even I think he's done a great job in Oklahoma City. You see him being that second coach on the floor for these young guys and not just going in there collecting a game check. He's been awesome in Oklahoma City. I've talked about on this podcast trying to find ways to honor Chris Paul's legacy in Oklahoma City. But I get it. One season should not warrant a whole Jersey retirement. But what Chris Paul did for Oklahoma City basketball, the Hornets, you know, his first couple of years in the NBA, and then now with the Thunder and our own organization, it should be celebrated. He was fantastic for the community, both stints, fantastic for this organization, both on the floor and off the floor in this stint. I don't know what you do for him. But again, the reason that we're not seeing him being disgruntled is because he knows that this organization will try to do everything in their power to do what's right for Chris Paul. And will he be traded? I still think he will be. I still think that there's a trade partner out there. As teams get desperate, as the offseason becomes more real and real, and we and we really put the pedal to the metal heading towards December 22nd, you want to improve your team, you want to go for it, everyone thinks they have a shot. Again, look at the Western Conference. Who does not think they have a shot at the postseason, even just this conference alone? much less who does not think that they have a shot at a title, then I think that you will find a partner for Chris Paul and move on from Chris Paul. But if you don't, I still don't think it'll be a terrible teammate. I think it'll be a great teammate and a great player and a, and a phenomenal person to have on your roster. So that's a credit to him as well. Now I want to dive into the Oklahoma City Thunder big board and talk about the guards. We talked about Terrell Terry. We talked about Desmond Bain uh, on, the, on the last episode whenever we talked about the draft. I want to dive now into Therese Maxey. Therese Maxey is a Kentucky guard who is a bit underutilized at Kentucky, and I think that we can look back on all of this and say, wow, maybe he's the next Devin Booker. Now, when I say that, I don't mean he's going to reach Devin Booker's uh, basketball ability, but I do think that he'll be drafted below what his talent level is. So whatever you think Therese Maxey's talent level is compared to all the players drafted ahead of him, I think he'll be better than most of them, to where the only reason he fell was because of his season at Kentucky that you know he was trying to find his role, couldn't really fit in anywhere, but once you put him in position to show off how well he can finish at the rim, to show off how well he can shoot the basketball, 
to show off how well he can be a pick-and-roll scorer, to show off how well he can be a defender. Once you put him in those positions to succeed and to just play more and to be more comfortable while playing, he'll look like a totally different player than he was at Kentucky. Because even while Kentucky didn't have the best you know, roles for him, he still showed a ton of, of flashes. That's a tough job at Kentucky for John Calipari, for John Calipari to figure out the roles for all these five stars. I get it, uh, but he was also a very clutch player, and and I hate the the notion of just clutch gene and, and kind of attributing everything, uh, every buzzer beater to only one person. Uh, but the facts are the facts. He he was in winning positions at Kentucky, and he excelled in them. He excelled in high leverage and and, and high intensity situations at Kentucky that you can't take that away from him, and so. He might just have that it factor of he can be a clutch player for you, a, a clutch time player for you. As we saw Oklahoma City be one of the best clutch time teams in the NBA last year. He can be someone who can still play at the highest level in the high moments. I love what I see from Therese Maxey. And this is someone who I can see going anywhere from late lottery to 25. So wherever you pick in this draft, whether, whether you stay at 25 or you move up, I would love to have Therese Maxey. And then you move on to Cole Anthony, who I have at number four. Uh, and again, this is for the Thunder. This is not for just teams in general. I, I, I've done an entire big board of every position for every NBA team all throughout the last month. But for the Thunder, I'm not sure how realistic it is to get Cole Anthony. Because at the end of the day, I think that what we do with Cole Anthony is you look at him and you say, you know what, this is a guy who dominated the competition. And the competition being the draft eligible players this year. Dominated the competition throughout the high school circuits, from the time he was a freshman till he's a senior in high school, did not have the year he wanted in North Carolina, but he dealt with injuries. He dealt with not having the the typical North Carolina players around him. You think of North Carolina, you think of a blue blood basketball program, you think of a an elite program. That's not what they were last year. They were not a good team last year. It was Cole Anthony and everyone else. So whenever he gets hurt, when he gets banged up, when he gets zeroed in on, he just did not live up to the hype set out for him, all while averaging 18 points a night, five rebounds a night, four assists a night at 20 years old. 6'4", wingspan, 6'3", height. He's an amazing perimeter shooter. He has great athleticism. He has great hustle. You give me shooting, you give me an athlete that hustles, what more can you ask for? I don't hold the bad shot attempts against him because of the fact of I don't think he had a lot working around him. And I think that as the season wore on and as he continued to not have the team success he thought he was going to have in North Carolina, you saw him put the pressure and the onus upon himself to dig the Tar Heels out of that, and that comes with poor shot selection. Now, the playmaking aspect of all of this, I do worry about. He, I don't look at the film, and I, and I don't see a lot of times where I praise his playmaking despite the ball not going in. Because that can happen. I mean, you can have a point guard who is just phenomenal at playmaking, but the talent around them just isn't there. They're putting guys in great position, and the guys fail each and every time. That wasn't really the case in North Carolina. He was a fine playmaker, showed some flashes, but overall, watching the film, he did not leap off the page, and he did not look like a true NBA point guard and a true NBA playmaker and someone who will facilitate an entire half-court offense. That's where I think you start to question Cole Anthony. But he's fantastic in the transition game. And if Will Weaver wants to implement running fast and, and up-tempo, 
Cole Anthony is there when you're selecting, maybe that's a route you want to go. Plays great defense, great in transition, fantastic athlete, great three-point shooter. I still like Cole Anthony. I'm number four for the Thunder, uh, but I still like Cole Anthony because I, I just think that there is something to the fact of, okay, we saw four years throughout high school of him dominating the competition. I'm not going to let one mediocre to above average a year at North Carolina deter what I knew about him previously to that. There's still we couldn't have all been wrong about Cole Anthony, right? And maybe that's a that's maybe that's a bad thing to look at it, but the bad way to look at it is that we couldn't have all been wrong. But I go through the negatives, and the negatives I find are shot selection, which I've made my opinion known on that, and playmaking, which guys typically, if they work hard, do get smarter and better at playmaking as they age throughout their career. I'm fine with it. I really am. And again, he plays really good defense, but he is 6'3". So if you're a coach who wants to go one through five, switch everything, you might run into a problem there, but he still plays great defense in general. And then coming up, I'll tell you who I have as number five point guard all the way through the top 10 of point guards for the Oklahoma City Thunder to draft coming up. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And we're back on the Locked On Thunder podcast, a part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your teams every day. I am your host, Rylan Styles. You can follow me on Twitter at Rylan underscore Styles. This is R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-E-S. And this is Locked on Thunder, your only daily podcast about the Oklahoma City Thunder. And I want to continue to talk about the Oklahoma City Thunder draft big board guard position. I have RJ Hampton as the number five guard for the Thunder. I'm not sure where he'll be drafted at because I could see him late lottery. I could see him late 20s. He has a wide range about him. And there's been some mocks that do have the Thunder selecting R.J. Hampton. I think that R.J. Hampton is a really, really incredible athlete who hustles a ton and tries his very best to hone in that athleticism. But there's a lot of work to be done. Now, I'm someone who is incredibly high on R.J. Hampton this time a year ago. And there is something to be said for a 19-year-old going over and playing with grown men versus going to, say, Kansas and playing the Big 12 and playing you know, Missouri State for your non-conference slate and racking up those games against those opponents versus night in and night out playing grown men and playing professional basketball at 19 years old. There is something to be said for that. And maybe that makes his film look a little bit worse than he actually is. In the sense of, you know, maybe his numbers look better if he's playing in college versus pro at this young age. But he's a very good driver to the rim. He's very good in the terms of fundamentals and basketball, just IQ, knowing what to do. But beyond that, he's fantastic as a playmaker. He is a nice off-ball player, especially if his new shot that you've seen on Twitter, if his new shot is something that is transmittable to the game, So you have a great playmaker, a good off-ball player that could elevate up to 
great if he can start to shoot the basketball better. And you have a very good defender who, unlike Cole Anthony, can defend, I think, one through five as we shift into the more modern NBA. He's 6'5 with a 6'7 wingspan. As we shift into the modern NBA, and if centers continue to get smaller, he can play one through five on defense or at least one through four defensively. So that's a big plus for him as well. That athleticism, that speed, what he can do in the open court, once again, plays into Will Weaver if he truly wants to go defense to offense and truly run up-tempo. Now, RJ Hampton, well, he can get to the rim at will. He couldn't really finish that well through contact, so that's something to continue to watch for RJ Hampton. Now, number six, I have Nico Mannion. I think that I'm kind of the only one left on Nico Mannion Island, but I just, to be completely honest with you, I'm just in love with the perimeter shooting. I think he's more of a shooting guard offensively uh, at the NBA level because I think that all he can really do is shoot threes. And if you draft Nico Mannion, you're simply drafting someone who has one elite skill and a couple above average ones. But the elite skill is a premium in the modern NBA, and then it's three-point shooting. And he can shoot threes in a myriad of ways. So I love Nico Mannion just because of the three-point shot. But then you move on to Devon Dotson, who I think has more questions around him because, listen, I've watched every single college game of his career. Uh, Devon Dotson, to me, never screamed NBA player at Kansas. Now, when you watch the film of Devontae Graham and Frank Mason, their play on the floor screamed NBA player. What didn't scream NBA player was their, was their size and their measurables, which they can't control, but their play did scream NBA player. With Devon Dotson, not only is he 6'2 with a 6'3 wingspan, uh, but he was amazing as a quick twitch athlete. He could blow by any defender, and he could finish at the rim in college. But as the opponents get tougher and you shift into the NBA game, can you still finish within the trees at the NBA level? Can he still finish at the glass? Now, his patented move reminds me of Shea because he just gets wiggles his way down to the paint, throws it up high and off the backboard. But does that work when you're playing NBA centers? And I do worry about that effectiveness when he has no jump shot. Shot 30% at Kansas from three. Gets harder to shoot the basketball from three-point line at the NBA level. At the NBA level, Didn't have a good shot to begin with. Can't really spot up shoot. Cannot shoot off the dribble. Can't shoot, period. That makes that whole explosiveness, as guys get more explosive at the NBA level, it's already going to diminish a little bit. Now, all of a sudden, they're not going to respect your jump shot at all. So now, they're backing off you even more. So not only can they compensate for your athleticism with their own athleticism, because they're, they're much better athletes at the NBA level than they are playing throughout the college ranks, but now they have the advantage of, okay, we can match you athletically. Now we can also take a step back defensively, let you shoot, because you're only going to make maybe 31%, 32% of threes at the NBA level and give ourselves another layer of protection from your ability to drive. And I also do not think he's a good playmaker. I just don't. I think that he loves to use his speed, and that gets him into a lot of trouble. I mean, a lot of trouble. It reminds me a little bit of Russell Westbrook. Young Russell Westbrook. Heck, he still does, he still does it to this day, but not as bad. You know, he, Devon Dotson, will just be sprinting down the floor. And then he'll leap 
and he will not know the moment his feet leave the ground. He won't know if he wants to shoot. He will not know if he wants to, to pass. He will not know what he wants to do next. He'll just leap just for fun because he just raced down the floor and got there before anyone else did. And so that creates turnovers. It creates bad shot attempts. It creates missed shots. It creates out of sorts half court offense. It creates a lost possession. And I think that he understands his speed as his best trait. And he tries to lean on that. But I just do not see it. I just don't see it with him. Worth a flyer for sure because of that athleticism and because of the way he can handle the basketball. He's a very good dribbler. He just is not very well at playmaking, pass dribbling. I will say, and I'll give him the same courtesy I gave Lou Dort, really good free throw shooter, 81%. And you know me, I love to use that as a way to tell if he can or cannot shoot three balls at the NBA level. But it will take a, a new jump shot for him, a literal new mechanical jump shot for him. A little bit overly critical of Devon Dotson, but I, I would say that if you somehow wind up with a late first-round pick beyond 25, I like him there. But he's in that fringe, maybe he falls to the second round, as, as many Kansas guards have done. And then I move on to Grant Ryler, who's my first second-round prospect. And this is not a name that's going to pop off the, the page at anyone because I'm not sure what sickos are out there like me who have sat down and watched a College of Charleston basketball. And beyond that, he's 23 years old, so that already diminishes his value at the NBA ranks for most people. But this guy can shoot lights out. He's a good playmaker. But I'm not sure if he can transit at 6'3 to the NBA game, going from playing at the College of Charleston to playing at the NBA level. But really, the only downside I have of him is, one, he didn't play a ton of, of, of top-tier talent, so I'm not sure how to properly uh, view the film beyond, okay, he's really good. And number two, he's not a good defender. And defense for an older college player who is likely going to be a second-round pick is really where they can make their mark and really try to prove their way onto the, onto the floor. And he just can't play defense. He, he just can't. And if you cannot play defense at the College of Charleston, you cannot play defense for the Oklahoma City Thunder. You cannot play defense at the NBA level. You just, you just won't be able to magically click. But I still like him. As a, as a second-round prospect, in my opinion. He's going to be a pretty nice second-round guard for some team out there. In the 40s, like the Thunder. On tomorrow's show, we'll not only talk about whatever news breaks uh, with this new NBA and Players Association agreement, we're also going to talk about Emmanuel Quickly. We're also going to talk about Isaiah Joe. We're going to talk about Michael Flynn. We're going to talk about a lot of these, these guards before we move on to the wings in this NBA draft. We've already done the centers. Uh, we've already done the, the top-tier guards. Now let's do the second-round guards and the wings as we continue to hurl towards the NBA draft coming up on November 18th. So that and a lot more coming up this week on Locked on Thunder. This is Locked on Thunder, your only daily podcast about the Oklahoma City Thunder. I am Ryland Styles. Follow me on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. It's at R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-E-S. Be good and be good to one another. Listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.